but uh, um, how long did you take to do this? I mean, this was a lot of research. How long did it take for you to do your research on this book? I just began Interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, talking with uh, Jonathan Tapsell and um, the author of Ameth, uh, The Live and Times of Doreen Valiente. This is the ultimate biography, and uh, the first one for that matter, I think, um, that is, um, have been done, and, and it's uh, published by our wonderful publisher, uh, Avalonia Books, uh, in the UK, out of the UK, and... Um, Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Black Chair, <laughs> Jonathan. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, this is incredible. Uh, we know that uh, you you were telling me that you, you know you worked on the archives for six months before you even um, begin to write this, and you you wrote the the biography in four sittings. You were saying, um, what was it? Was it? I, did you knew uh, Doreen in life? I mean, did you had contact with her, or or you never met her? Ah, well, that's a, <laughs> a strange tale because I didn't put this in the book, but um, unbeknown to people, I was working in media as a journalist and I also made documentaries and worked with television. And I first came across Doreen Valenti on the phone in 1998. And uh, she'd just joined the telephone system, believe it or not. And uh, <laughs> she was a bit bemused about being called up on all <laughs> this matter, which I wanted to look into. And she said, how did you get my number? And I said, well, it's in the telephone book. Where else would it be? <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh, oh, I see. Well, I don't normally take calls. In fact, I've only just had the uh, phone installed. I don't like them. And uh, <laughs> our first encounter wasn't uh, <laughs> all that auspicious anyway. And I got off the phone quickly. And weirdly enough, uh, a year later, a little more than a year later, I was called to the Centre of Pagan Studies, which is in the middle of Sussex. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there to talk with John Bell and Payne about possibly filming with us for a television uh, series. Mm -hmm. And there was a firework exhibition, and a, a firework display, I should say, in a small exhibition. And John had a, a large place with some outbuildings, and there was a throng of people, several hundred, watching the fireworks. And I went to refresh a glass of wine with a friend, and we went to this outbuilding well we went in the wrong one and we were shot and there were 50 witches and i thought well the door was locked behind me should i tell them i'm a journalist and i thought no i better not this is going to go badly wrong and doreen was next to me and she turned around and she winked and i think she knew i wasn't supposed to be there so i did meet her and i was in the circle with her by chance but not as a proper witch no, no. Wow, that's a, that's quite the experience, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, it's it's really interesting because um, I'm looking at this and and I like the way the, 
well, I, I I just feel very very. It's very interesting that you got the the way that you write this is very interesting because you go in and out various characters and and personalities that you in the story of the life of Doreen, and you go. Uh, quite deep into each of them. I mean, you you talk about um, Gardner quite a lot, um, very deeply into his history. Um, and also, um, you know, you, you mention every single uh, person that was very, very central to their... It's, it's almost like you have this big, huge autobiography, um, and then you have this little biographies inside of the book also, <laughs> which is quite interesting, because, you know, you give the, the reader um, a very nice, um, you know, uh, history background about all of these people, just in case we don't know who they are. <laughs> and it's really nice. It really is very nice. Now, now Doreen uh, was... She was very precocious, wasn't she? Seven years old. She was seven years old when she began to be interested in the, you know, in all of these things. And um, and and she actually says, "I saw what people would call the world of 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 everyday reality as unreal, and saw behind yeah. it something that was real and very potent. I saw the world of force behind the world of form." And she was seven years old. Right, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Now, um, the other thing that I that it's really interesting is that at age thirteen, she just takes a huge <laughs> um, enterprise, magically speaking, and she does this very interesting spell for her mother, and <laughs> and she was only thirteen years old, <laughs> and she just took it on, right? She just took it on. So this is. You know, very telling about about uh, how Doreen was and and how her personality was, and you know, of course, she was on formation right here when she was thirteen. But how would you describe Doreen to a perfect um, someone who never heard about her? I was asked that on a radio interview, and mm. I said, the first thing you have to understand about Doreen is she was a very formidable lady. She knew what she wanted. And if you displeased her, you would soon know about it. Um, she really didn't mess around, and she had, she was driven, yes. highly driven personality. And you know, obviously, as you've pointed out, from childhood, she had a deep-seated interest. It was indelible in her that she liked and she wanted to be involved with witchcraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's she's just it's just incredible to read this and how it came about and all that. And this went on and on and on even when the husbands were not into witchcraft at all um, yeah. or involved in it she continues her interest in folk in, well, at the time in folklore right? and then yeah. she went into um, all of these wonderful adventures that ended up of course in an initiation in in a coven um, by Gerald Gardner um, now she was very eclectic in terms of of her um she would grab everything and anything that would be interesting and related to magic i mean she she was uh very much into um you know she was you said that you you saw a couple of things from the time that she read um the great beast right from uh, yeah. john sims um 
a biography of the famous uh, Alistair Crowley. Um, and and she at the time she was learning Hebrew because she was uh, really interested in in uh, in uh, uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and things yeah. like that. So. Um, then you 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 mention here, and for those who are listening to us, you know the flying roll number five, which is kind of a mystery, and um, these flying rolls number f well the flying rolls uh, were documents that were at the time they were circulating internally um, for only Golden Dawn initiate studies, uh, um, you know at the time, and and she got her hands on one of these. Was she ever a member of the Golden Dawn? Do you think? Um, you're breaking up a little bit there. Oh, sorry. The last part of That's the, okay. Of the That's okay. Uh, do you think that she was a member of the Golden Dawn to get her hands on the flying number five, the flying yes. roll number five? <laughs> this is a very interesting connection because there were several things that were thrown up during the writing of Amos, and they weren't fully answered. And I hope another biographer will come along in years to come and yes. answer them all. But her initial training at home before she met Gardner was very much focused on the Golden Dawn as you say Yes. and she was very knowledgeable about it and she met someone and she knew someone um, called Gerald York and they, they almost certainly traded um, some articles um, later on in the 50s and I believe from my own work which is included in the book I don't want to spoil it for people who are about to read it if they are um, <laughs> but there is a bit of a detective story here where a certain witch um, goes out of her way to collect Golden Dawn articles from a recently bereaved banker, and I believe that was Doreen. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting that she knew so much about the Golden Dawn when some artifacts were washed ashore on Brighton Beach in the 60s, and they said, oh, it's uh, Satanism or... <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Said, no, it's Golden Dawn memorabilia, this is this, this is this. She was steeped in the knowledge of the Golden Dawn, so I think she'd been practising on her own before she met Gerald Gardner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mm. think I think so too because it's very it's very interesting to to read. Now in fifty two, she writes she puts her pen onto paper and she writes the first letter to the museum curator at the time, Cecil Williamson, and this would change her life forever. Yeah. Right? This is yeah. the point of no return, I guess. <laughs> Uh, for Doreen, um, she's, he sends her to to Gerald Gardner at the time. She sends her to Gerald Gardner, and one of the most interesting things is, is that you say here initial correspondence run between Doreen and Gardner, but he denied her request to be initiated by him. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's interesting. She she wrote to um, Gardner, and she described herself, funny enough, as a student of the Golden Dawn. <laughs> and she just describes herself as that. So there's another clue about the Golden Dawn material. Yes. But she'd read this ma uh, magazine article in Illustrated uh, magazine, and she came on to say that she was interested in the witch cult, as she calls it. And he was director of a museum, and um, he had a friend called Cecil Williamson, who was steeped in the occult and also at various times in charge of the museum. Yes. And it didn't go well. For some reason, he didn't take a liking to Doreen at first. But she she was not a person, as I say, a formidable person. And you could say that perseverance was her chief characteristic. So she carried on and she didn't give in. 
and I think that might have impressed him. Oh yes, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. In '52, then they meet Daffo and Gerald Gardner meet for the first time, Doreen, mm. and they were quite impressed by her and probably about her knowledge and you know all of that and and as he always did Gerald Gardner gives her a copy of High Magic 8 yeah um what was the purpose of Gardner giving these um away it at, at, at any prospective student or um wannabe initiate well you have to think of England at that time and, and I think what I've tried to do in the book is colour in each era. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand the mentality of the era. Mm -hmm. In England after the war, um, it was rather prudish. People did not go around naked at night, <laughs> especially <laughs> not the same sex, uh, different sexes, I should say. Mm -hmm. It was not considered a done thing. So it was a gentle way of saying, you know, we do go about sky club, we do take our clothes off during the rites. Here's a book, it's a fictional book, and obviously if they objected, and they were prudish and said, well, there's people naked in there, I don't think I want to get involved in this, that would be left there, and, and no harm would be done. But if the person was open-minded, and they didn't bulk at the material in this fictional novel, then, of course, Gardner could then approach them again and say, well, you know, you'd be expected to take your clothes off, you'll be blindfolded, you'll be bound. All these things would happen to you. Are you okay with that? And that was the purpose of circulating this book. Very good. Um, now, uh, the other thing that I've noticed here, and it, this is very interesting also, is that um, she then is initiated for the first time at, at, um, by, by Gardner himself uh, on a Midsummer's Eve um, in 53, uh, one year later, their first encounter, right? Mm. Um, and uh, there is this whole thing about uh, because now she is in and and of course she's very curious she's very um she wants to know more about this and uh, you know what gardner says you know you, of course he uses his book of shadows at the time um and and he claimed that this material was was taken from from the new forest covenant was one was one of the covens that were originally Right, yes. a survivor of the covens who's um, of a, with ancient lineage that could go on and stretch to the Norman times and King Ruffus. So, um, this is very interesting because now we're going to talk about uh, other things, and this will tie in with with a, fam a famous Lamas Knight, <laughs> as it took shape in a in a in a little novel. Um, but. Um, is it really, do we have proof of, the, I mean, of course, it's very difficult, but, you know, do, do we have any more information about this in, in terms of this descendant coven from the times of the Normans um, and, and King Rufus or not? Well, I think we do. Um, there are people who disagree with that, but I'm very much on the side of Philip Heselton. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the both of us think that is because we did a bit of detective work in Southampton which is near on the border of the New Forest yes. so you have to remember when Gardner and Doreen met they met at Daffo's house and Daffo was a member of the New Forest Coven so that's one of the first clues and Daffo, her real name we can now reveal is Edith Woodford Grimes mm -hmm. and I knew Eleanor Bone who was called the matriarch of British witchcraft and when Eleanor was alive she confirmed that she knew Daffo and she told me a lot about their history well anyway um, Philip and I did a bit of detective work and we came across this uh, very fascinating character called Bill Wakefield yes. who I believe is not alive anymore uh, sadly 
Um, he, he was a lens grinder for telescopes, large telescopes, and he made several of the famous telescopes in the country to, for, you know, the RAF and mm-hmm. other people. Anyway, he he worked underneath a man who taught him the trade called Old Ernie. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't know about Old Ernie, but uh, Philip and I got onto this because Mr. Wakefield was in had a huge archive, and no one could explain where it came from, of the Crotona Fellowship Papers. Now, anyone who knows about Gardner's story will know that Gardner was a member of the Crotona Fellowship, a sort of Rosicrucian theatre in Christchurch in the New Forest, and that's where he encountered the New Forest Coven. That's right. Now, we did a bit of detective work here, um, and Philip writes about it in his book, Wiccan Ways, and in, in this, there is an encounter between Gardner and Dorothy Clutterbuck, and he gets initiated into Wicca. Well, it's in the midst of this Rosicrucian theatre that this all happens. So we're talking to Bill Wakefield, and I went back to do two interviews with him. I was so fascinated. And he was had suffering from a, a long-term illness, and his memory was fading, but he did come up with some very unusual comments. He said, my teacher was a mind-controlled person, and all of his family... They could do things. They could change the weather. And I said, well, that's fascinating. And I said, well, what about it? What, what were they into? And he said, I don't know, but they did do a spell in the, in the war that was aimed against Hitler. Um, <laughs> and, you know, no, it was all, all this stuff was coming out. And I said, did they ever mention witchcraft? He said, no. And I said, well, what, what was the teaching? And he said, well, my um, lens grinder master, or whatever he wanted to call him, um, told me that he was the... Um, guardian of the ancient oral tradition of this land and I, I was blown away and I said is that what he said and he said yes and, and he could control um, you know, the weather, all these things that, that the new forest cover was supposed to have done so I thought it was quite a good piece of circumstantial evidence. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, you know, these things, it's really, I mean, you say, oh, it's it's a detective work, and Philip and I did this detective work. It really is, it's not supposed to be known, <laughs> you know, unless you are inside of the cupboard. But um, now we want to know, we really want to know. Now, um, because it's so it's so fascinating now when she begins to Doreen I mean she begins to go into Wicca and she begins to look at the um, material of the um, Gardnerian Book of Shadows at the time the, the you know Gardner's Book of Shadows um, he thought that she didn't really know uh, or have ever read um, Alistair Crowley probably because you know she recognized a quite a lot of the material of Crowley um, and poetry, etc., in there. Um, did, did, did he not really knew that she uh, knew this? Because they had a, a very long conversation, I'm sure, after she read all the material about Alistair Crowley and all of that. And um, Or wasn't he really counting on this? I mean, he, he didn't told her, did he? I'm I'm guessing that he revealed slowly piecemeal. Yes. <laughs> the Book of Shadows as you as you train, you know, you learn yes. a little bit more and you're shown another spell and then another thing and another thing. And after four years, she must have thought, hold on a second, most of this material I've read somewhere else. And being very well read and being a researcher and being a student of the Golden Dawn, as she described herself, I'm sure she became very unhappy about all of this, and mm-hmm. she certainly went out of her way 
with another gentleman who I meant to mention in the book, who's very rarely mentioned, Ned Grove, and they pull yes. Gardner to one side and say, well, hold on a second, you know, this isn't uh, ancient material, this is um, sourced from the Masonic uh, order, Crowley, OTO, etc., and that's where this big uh, clash happens, you know. Absolutely, yes, yeah, and that was a big clash. Um, let's t talk a little bit about this spell against Hitler. Many yeah. things were, um, and we're talking about um, uh, a spell that was done um, that actually gave then, after that, uh, a little bit, and which Doreen was the consultant for that particular novel. It is a novel um, from Catherine uh, Kurtz, an American yeah, author, yeah. Lamas Knight. Um, if if the listeners are actually, <laughs> you know, interested in knowing a little bit more about this um, this spell or this encounter that um, this event that that took place at the time, um, this was published in 1988 and uh, 1986 um, mm -hmm. and it could be that you, you you can probably get it in um, eBay or something but it really it really is a very nice book that contains quite a lot of information doesn't it first of all because it is uh, fiction um, and we and and Philip actually Philip Hazelton actually says that you know there's qu quite a lot of revealing details in in those little characters in the <laughs> <laughs> in the in this little um fiction book what 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 went on uh on this on this spell uh on this particular event and um, essentially uh, essentially the new forest coven starts with rufus king rufus is the second norman king who mm -hmm. was killed apparently by accident um in the new forest with mm -hmm. an arrow mm -hmm. but his um, death has been said for a number of years, Margaret Murray wrote about it, Doreen wrote about it, other people have written, saying that it was actually a ritual sacrifice. The king gave his life in order to restore the land. Well, mm -hmm. it's it's quite a story, and uh, Margaret Murray is probably the person to read if you want to study that. But um, the Lammas Knight um, fictional story is supposed to mirror real-life events, and there is a royal connection in the midst of this spell mm -hmm. because at the time if, if, without boring everyone England was in a lot of trouble most of Europe had fallen and it was a well, almost a foregone conclusion that the Germans would invade and that would be that mm -hmm. so Hitler was about to invade in the early 40s and there was nothing much that anyone could do about it and he, he, I don't know why he didn't do it but um, the story goes and this is where we go back to Bill Wakefield and Phillips detective work of my own is this gentleman Bill Wakefield during the interviews he identifies that his lens grinder employer had two visitors and he said it was very hush hush and it's all <laughs> sort of uh, you know, hushed tones and I said well who are these visitors and he said oh they, they were probably naval and this is interesting and they used to come in a big black car with the crest on the side and they were rushed through the workshop upstairs and they'd be chanting I said, well, don't you know any more about them? I said, oh, no, no, I wasn't allowed to get involved there. <laughs> <laughs> they were then ushered back through the workshop in their car and off they'd go. Well, interestingly enough, Crowley's student, who is Dolores North, or better known as Madame Montalban, yeah. yeah. she was an expert on uh, tarot and, of course, magic. Well, she was the driver of Louis Lord Mountbatten, who was Prince Charles' um, uncle, very high-placed royal. Well, he was very interested in this. And if you go through 
the Lammas Night book, you will see there has to be in the New Forest Coven rituals, the top rituals, the ones of this ancient oral tradition, there must be a king figure who gives something. And so we're very interested in this. And so Lammas Night, obviously, nobody <laughs> is going to kill the king. It's not going to happen. But what is interesting is that we identified that those two characters were probably Dolores North and Louis Lord Macbatten. We, we sort of went back and did a sort of story tracing mm-hmm. um, their connection with Gardner. Now, interestingly enough, Dolores North um, edited High, High Magic's Aid by Gardner, and she was heavily involved with Gardner. So, again, it, it, it speaks volumes that she had connections to Crowley, to the New Forest Coven, and to Gardner. The other thing that it's very interesting, Jonathan, is that because of the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial king and sacrificial death yeah. and willing death, um, to nourish the land or to protect the land, or you know, there were a couple of people who actually died in this, right? And yes. that goes a little bit into the sacrifice towards the good f- uh, of the kingdom or the good of of the mm-hmm. land. Uh, was that really the intention at the time? Because there was very, it was very cold. Um, also, outside, naked. Some people would put uh, geese um, uh, grease, right, and uh, fat into in you know in their bodies. Uh, they would spread it on the skin. Um, but there were very old people working in this, and, and they probably you know succumbed to hypothermia. Um, is this really related to the sacrificial of the king? I mean, it's very hard for us to say now, because <laughs> our perception of Wicca now has much yes. changed, you know, from yes. these people. But um, the mystery of old Ernie and what he was teaching, um, I think we have to go back to Bill Wakefield. Yes. And Bill Wakefield would say that a lot of the teachings were kept away from people until they'd mastered them. But he did talk about the deaths, and I think uh, Philip wrote about that more than I did. Yes. Um, that the two people who died were, uh, I believe, a local blacksmith and the other one, um, a newspaper editor. Yes, yes. And if you look at the timings of the death, it it does mark um, the alleged ritual. Mm -hmm, mm I suppose it's hard to say, um, but um, Doreen knew Daffo, and I know that um, Eleanor Bone did, and they both spoke about this with Daffo, and she was convinced that all of this happened. That's very interesting, yeah, very good. Now, um, are you also of the opinion, as Philip Hazelton is, um, that the New Forest Coven um, was mostly women, what he calls the mothers of the Wicca? I don't know. I don't know. Um, he says that. He gave an interview. Yeah, yeah. He gave an interview and he says, well, I think that it was mostly women and they are called the mothers of the Wicca. What I called the mothers of the Wicca. Um, which is yeah. one of the, you know, uh, one, of the th- one of the theories that he has. Um, of course, we don't know. We, 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 but what is your opinion, do you think? Well, if you list the names that we've got, which you've mainly supplied by Philip's marvellous research and yes. his very in-depth research yes. I think you find um, it seems to be a list of mostly women but yeah. then I think well people have partners you know yeah. relatives things like that yeah. and probably a lot of it's family based anyway um, as the Mason family who made up the nucleus of the New Forest Coven yes. were yeah. so it's hard yeah. to say I, I couldn't venture my 
arm out there yet. <laughs> Reserve judgment on that. Yes. Now, Doreen goes away um, from from Joel Gardner's coven, and she, in March of '57, she um, this the, she splits from from the coven with, again with Ned, um, and she goes away and uh, from the from the from the coven. Um, they separated, so Doreen and Ned formed their own coven, and Gardner, Jack, and Telma Brasson continues to use the the other one, the Naturist Club, um, in Brickenhood. Would. So um, then she she goes on and on into various things. She goes on and on about experiences of, of other things. She was very much into description. She was very much into privacy. Um, she didn't like, and that is what really she likes about Tubal Cain, isn't it? Um, because it was a private, secret, not really exposed, not into publicity at all. Um, and that's what really fascinated her. Not only that, but then, of course, you know, other things. But uh, that was one of the things that she looked at. Um, it really bothered her, didn't it? The 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 publicity and all of these things that Gardner did and all of these. Um, it really bothered her. She 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 really thought that it should be private, didn't she? I think the New Forest Coven may have contributed to that because they wanted to carry on being a private group and. Gardner was trying to go somewhere else. He wanted museums, he wanted to claim, like um, Williamson, that he was close to the crown, and it was all kind of very stilted, and I think people just mm -hmm. wanted to get on with what they'd been practicing and what they knew, and they didn't want any scandal. I can imagine that then. I'm saying that all the time in the book about colouring the eras and how the eras reflect our practice yes. and reflect what we do and what we think and how we relate to society. And there was an element of fear I think of being exposed as a witch right up until the mid-60s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, especially, I'm talking about this country, obviously, I can't speak for anyone else, and I think that colours how people operated. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. also, there's another significant factor. In the late 50s, Doreen had moved, and she moved to Sussex. Now, for people that aren't aware of it, Sussex was the last county in England to convert to witchcraft and they only did so under the point of the sword, they were forced into it. And if you go around Sussex to this day, there are um, churches with the pulpit with the green man carved into it, so the <laughs> congregation could look at their own god, <laughs> and things like this. And, and she'd moved there, and she was hanging out with a chap called um, Leslie Roberts. Mm -hmm. Now Leslie Roberts did colour her thinking, and she used to walk the byways of Sussex with him researching all of this ancient knowledge mm -hmm. and, and Ned Grove of course was in her private group it wouldn't surprise me if she wasn't practicing magic with Les Leslie Roberts Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't go that far. In the yes, book. yes, yeah. No, but I think that that you're absolutely right. Now, Tubal Cain um, in the '60s, um, she really w went into it. She was, uh, in fact, she was initiated uh, by Robert Cochrane in '64, yeah. and um, and it's it's very interesting to see this. She had a very deep connection with Rob uh, Robert uh, Cochrane, didn't she? Um, and and you mentioned this that that when he uh, we don't know if it was committing suicide if it was a mistake on the dose, um, but when that happened with Ro with when Robin Co uh, Robin Cochran um, Robert Cochran um, died, she was in the hospital. Um, do do you really think that she always 
thought that was like, why didn't I reach out and um, that she was sorry that she wouldn't be able to do m more for Robin, Robert Co Cochran. I think there was an element of sadness. Mm, um, mm -hmm. If you read her poem about um, yes. the dead witch, you can see that there's a loss, a feeling of grief. They did, of course, clash, and the clash was much worse than the one with Gardner um, because of Cochrane's behaviour, yes. which was bizarre and uh, very controversial. In fact, he ended up being divorced because of his affairs. Um, but I think, really and truthfully, we have to say that Cochrane transformed Doreen. He introduced her to an atavistic, powerful magic, and she says that. And so he really was a, a teacher beyond all others for her. Very good, yeah. I, uh, and she she says that, she says that. Um, Where Witchcraft Lives was published in 1962. This was um, the first book, and one also that was the first book to actually contain um, or reflect in um, the, uh, the, the feeling of the time of the witch trials. Um, this was a pioneer book, I think. Um, you know, we have much more after that, of course. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, uh, Professor Hutton says, you know, um, that that's the that that's that really is a pioneer book, and it's in a very very interesting book. Now, this is when she was. Um, uh, so this is 1962. Um, then in 64, Gardner dies. Her mother dies also at that time. She feels that now she can be a spokesperson for the craft. And more books are to come. She begins to do a lot of things. One of the things, and he said, you know, the readers of this book might be a little bit surprised, but she was in the forge of the pagan front that went and gave birth afterwards, um, or was a very influential international organization called Pagan Federation. So we can say that <laughs> Doreen <laughs> um, w was in the very origin of the idea of of a of of pagan federation, and she took a little bit of a a role, a little bit more active uh, in terms of speaking um, about uh, the craft and you know books and yeah. all of that. In your opinion, and I'm doing this because I am going to do the devil's advocate right now. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, isn't this the publicity that? Uh, Gardner that she was she was running from when Gardner was doing it an interesting one I think that's a very interesting question there is an element at this time of course in a massive change in society both in the states and in Europe you're talking about the swinging 60s coming in yes again this does color things because now people can come out and say what they want to say which hadn't been the case before and I do point out in the book that the characters that are turning up in the mid-60s, including Mr. Cochran, are different types of people. Gardner and the New Forest Coven, they belong to an old era of, you know, Victorian times, yes. you know, really, the empire and things like this. Very different mentality from the swinging 60s, maybe people smoking a little bit of marijuana, listening to music, different, different ball game. And I think they wanted to found small magazines to reach out to people, fanzines if you like, 
and they wanted to form groups that would reach out and actually entertain the idea of let's get this going and it was a very different time and I think we have to understand that in context. Very interesting because um, she did, she was a woman of her time, all times, you know, and she transformed Mm. and she rode, um, she walked the road and she was in front of the time, um, which is very interesting. Uh, Then we have also um, the contact that she had with, um, you know, to prove, and this was done in The Witch's Way, it was an appendix for the Farrer's book um, about um, Miss Clutterbrook. Um, the old Dorothy, as as Gardner would would meant would um, uh, called her. Um, what did she uh, found out about this this woman, this this uh, old Dorothy, which which was basically Gardner's initiate, wasn't it? Yes, um, she Gardner was initiated into the craft by old Dorothy, um, if we believe his account. And I think what was happening at this time is 1980, I believe, somebody cast doubt on the whole story and said, well, Gardner probably made it up. Yes. <laughs> and Doreen felt sure this wasn't true because she knew Gardner and he talked about um, old Dorothy. I don't know what conversation she'd had with Daffer, but she felt sure that it was true. And she set about um, uncovering that. And so she did a bit of detective work herself, <laughs> <laughs> digging out through these dusty archives before the time of the Internet did a lot of hard work and she had a lot of disappointments along the way it took a long time yeah yeah, um, yeah. you know and you can imagine the doubts and everything but she she did find a character called Dorothy Fordham yes who lived in Christchurch yeah. and uh, it is the same character as Dorothy Clutterbuck but of course that I know Philip um, is it uh, Professor Hutton has said old Dorothy doesn't mean Dorothy Clutterbuck are the same people it's a kind of to me a semantic game I don't like that I don't agree with that I think if you look in a small village you find old Dorothy you find the description it's it's very compelling I would mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. and I and I do say in the book it is a matter of faith for Wiccans which are <laughs> they going to receive that but yeah now what did Aidan Kelly said to her uh, not to her, but what Aidan Kelly said in 1985 that really upset her and took her again. I thought that that Doreen was very much into, um, you know, set the record straight. You know, don't, don't say things that you don't know what you're talking about. Let's just, you know, and yeah. and Kelly did the same, right? Kelly did the same. It's hard to say what why he said what he said, which was that um, they'd been placing an emphasis on the goddess. Um, but if you look at the writings, if you look at Gardner's own books, before Doreen really takes uh, any precedence in all this, there is a focus on the goddess. And if you look at the American folklorist, Charles Leland, Charge mm-hmm. of the Goddess, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the charge comes from that work of his. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called Amelia. Anyway, that's 1899, so it had been going on a long time, and I think it was a bit unfair to um, say what he said. And, of course, <laughs> Doreen, in true Doreen style, reacted in the way she did. She wasn't, she wasn't going to put up with that, and I think she <laughs> describes the correspondence as acrimonious. But, uh, <laughs> we'll just leave that there. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely, yeah. yes. So then, um, you know, the, 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 was there anything when you wrote this book 
um, mm. and I know that this is you know you said you know six years and uh, six months of um, research and things and then you went on and on and on um, you had access of course to letters and uh, documents and yeah. uh, accounts and people and you interviewed a co quite a lot of people um, what what was here that you in your research and you said that about my, um, Doreen also she she had a, a lot of surprises when she researched about <laughs> old Dorothy um, did anything came across to you, you know when you were doing your research that really surprised you and what was it I'll be honest with you you came into this outbuilding and it was the size of a barn it was about uh, 60 foot by I don't know, 30 foot, something like that. Yes. A long building, and it was full of crystal balls, a huge um, solid silver um, cauldron held up by a tripod that seemed to be plated silver. It was a marvellous collection, very impressive, and you had all of Gardner's altar pieces there, um, wands and all sorts of things, tarot packs, numerous types. All of Doreen's life was in this capsule of this building. And it was all there, all of her papers. She saved everything, even shopping lists. And I was the person chosen to archive it. I brought Philip Hesselton in to look at the Book of Shadows because that's his expertise. And there was a photographer, another person. And we were helped continually by the Centre of Pagan Studies to go through this material. And it took six months. Now, I found in the collection with the photographer, and it did surprise me, that Doreen was a member of a political party. I don't want to go too far into this. It was a right-wing party, and I thought, well, this is pretty strange because it doesn't fit her uh, views at all. Yes. The party is pretty objectionable, doesn't exist anymore, and I just thought it was a strange thing, um, an anomaly. I put the, the letter back in the collection, and we thought, wow. And, but it was a resignation letter, so maybe her values had changed, maybe she'd joined it uh, believing something else. It just doesn't fit with the rest of her life. That's very interesting. That was... <laughs> that <laughs> I would be shocked also. <laughs> I would be... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it, but, but yes. you know, we all do things that are, you know, all of us, that are out of character. We can join things and think, well, this isn't working for me. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't fit what I believe. Yes, yeah, you yeah. Know, we all evolve. Yes, so yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just go in and you, you agree with a couple of things and then there are certain other things that you don't and then you find out that you don't you disagree more than you actually agree with in the first <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. sometimes that's what happens. Um, the other thing was very interesting because you talked about, you know, uh, the revision of Wicca and it's one of the titles of the th uh, of, of the of the um, when you talk um, about uh, the work that she did in, in mm -hmm. chapter 6 Hornet Hunter of the Night and you do talk about that and you also talk about um, uh, she have been uh, her there was a, a, a growing snobbish kind of attitude um, you know people were taking lady and lord kind of titles you know, the in wicca um, they were very very peculiar about uh, lineage and all of that and she got really quite annoyed about that and she kind of um, took another another take on it and she said you know I really really do believe in Edgewich and you know uh, solitary uh, you know uh, work also and you know uh, 
and then and then she goes on and say you know who initiated the first witch and then she begins to actually there is a uh, on one of her books she actually gives um rituals of um self initiation or self dedication um and she actually gives the whole ritual for that and so it was not really you know it she gave it the same importance as you know an initiation in a coven or anything like that so why did you think i mean was this really uh, to resolve the snobbish kind of tone that rose uh, that at the time um it rised up into in the in the horizon of of this of the craft or or was this really a general i mean she she really believed in this she she writes it in a book it, it, it must be grating for people i mean um mm. i i know one of um, dorian's friends who's a great high priest who's in charge of 200 coffins in West Sussex alone and he, he was offered the title many years ago of King of the Witches and he laughed and he said there's no such thing as a king or queen um, in witchcraft and he said I am a sir he was actually knighted and he said but I am a sir and it's a legally binding title and it was <laughs> made in aristocratic circles but I wouldn't dream of putting myself above another witch yes. and he, I think he and Dorian and I think Ray Buckland as well is another one who got sick and tired of people um, having a little bit of power and then it going to their heads. And th they were trying to do something else. And also at this time, of course, you've got a huge change in awareness. Awareness of Aquarian values and yes. what are we doing as witches. And I think that, that came to the fore. And I think people kicked back on this king of the witches and all the rest of it it didn't go down well it didn't suit mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now she then says you know um at some point someone uh called her queen of the witches and she says the only queen i recognize is her majesty in buckingham palace and that was it and that was that <laughs> um it's very interesting that that she was very uh you know outspoken and she really does uh tell a lot you know there's a lot of things that she tells about you know and and she doesn't hold it back I and mean, and it was very 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 interesting jonathan uh wonderful book a very nice biography absolutely uh in very intense research as all biographies and i do have uh outermost admiration you. for you know uh, biographers because they are not only <laughs> writers but they are archaeologists historians you know archivists and oh. all in one bundle so um and then they write the biography on top of that. So I really do admire biographers because it's a really very, very hard... Um, did the book turn up as you wanted or did you left something out that you wanted to add and you couldn't because, oh, it's already on Avalonia Books and Sarita has it already. I wanted to add this thing and I can't do it now. Uh, what was it, if, if you I, could? I would say this, that perhaps... <laughs> In hindsight, I would have liked to have talked more about the relationship with Starhawk. Yes. Um, that Doreen again found someone who she could really relate to, and she said in in and I would love to have explored this, but there wasn't time. Mm -hmm. um, other projects come along, and you have to end. You can't be too precious. But I think that she said, "Who would have?" And she was looking at men when she said this. Who would have the courage of their convictions to go to jail? And she she really admired Starhawk, and I yes. think Starhawk and other people are taking Wicker into a whole new vista. 
that would have been interesting and I would have liked to have found out more about that but I don't have access to the collection anymore and perhaps one day someone will rise to the challenge absolutely and and Z Budapest also I would think um, it was another you know one of the one of those names that really came up um, which is very interesting ladies and gentlemen Jonathan Tapsel um, Ameth uh, the life and times of Doreen Valiente and an extraordinary woman in an extraordinary biography from Avalon in books um, Jonathan thank you so much for being here with us and uh, it's wonderful um, that you were so generous to accept this invitation and um, thank you for being on the blank chair <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and uh, this is it. Uh, on the Black Chair is uh, finished. Until next week, I will say have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.